2: 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au
1: Bernie, uh, your new book, it's on its way. How far away might it be?
0: I think it'll be about, um, probably about August, Neil. It takes a little while to get these things out the door. Uh, it's written, it's, uh, it's in design at the moment and then of course there's the whole printing process.
1: And, of course, uh, you'd be talking about these types of things. You're uh, visiting various churches and gatherings all around the country. Uh, You're already, I guess, talking about some of the things that are coming up in your new book.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think the issue that most of us have is that we perceive the symptoms. And and when we have a symptom in our life, my marriage isn't going well or I'm not enjoying my job or this or that or the other, what we're looking for is a quick fix for the symptoms. But actually, God isn't into quick fixes. God is into dealing with the disease. And uh, and that's what the book is all about. It's about going below the symptoms um, to deal with the, the disease that's going on in our lives. And we each have it. It's called sin.
1: Okay. Well, when we talk about foundations, uh, we get the foundations wrong. Uh, we get a shaky sort of a house. Get the foundations right. And the house is actually strong. Uh, I guess your book is going to be about foundations, isn't it?
0: Well, it is. It's going to be about the the basic things that we need to get right in our lives, the things that we always want to skip over, race on to the next thing, but the basic things that we need to get right in our lives. I mean, just believing that God is, you know, that's an easy thing for us to say, and I guess a lot of people listening right now are saying, well, yeah, I, I believe that God is. But do we really believe that God is? Do we live our lives as though God is? Do we believe in him with our lives and with our actions and with our thoughts and with our desires? Or do we believe in him with our heads and then race off and do all those other things on our own? And that's what a lot of us end up doing.
1: You know, I remember being in a conversation years ago, Bernie, about uh, whether if you're a non-believer, whether you actually tell your children that there is a God. Have you ever had this sort of conversation with people? Well, I remember this conversation because uh, there was a discussion going on with some non-Christians, some non-believers, and they were sort of saying, well, you know, you want to tell your children uh, for them what was the truth. Now, there is no God. But I said, you got to be careful with that because if you tell children there is no God, then you are really communicating to your children there is no hope. And uh, the foundation that you would lay in your children's lives would set them up for a dreadful time into their future. When you talk about uh, believing that he is, the very first start is just uh, as children, understanding that there is a God.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Believing that there is a God. Interestingly, a lot of parents who don't believe there is a God still want to send their kids to a Christian school. Um, And so there's a lot of dichotomy around that, but sometimes we believe that there is a God with our heads, but we don't believe with our hearts and our lives, and I guess that's what the heart of the book is all about.
1: Well, we're going to be inviting our listeners to call in and uh, talk about some tips to having a stunning life. Our talkback lines are open. The number to call is 1-800-880-876. That's 1-800-880-876. Why don't you take the opportunity? Give us a call right now. You'll be able to contribute to our conversation. Bernie Dimatt is our guest from Christianity Works. We're talking through the topic, how to live a stunning life. Bernie, when you talk about God... Uh, believing that he is, it seems to be very simple for most people to say, yes, I believe in God. For some people, though, uh, they struggle with that.
0: Look, sure they do, and, and you and I know that it 's not really until God reveals himself through the Holy Spirit that we can come to grips with the, the fact that there is a God I mean I, I for the first thirty six of years of my life really wasn 't that sure whether there was a God, and certainly, if you looked at the way that I lived my life, which was all about me and making lots of money and having a career and all those sorts of things, my life openly declared that I didn't believe that there was a God. But deep down, there was always some niggling kind of thing. And it wasn't until I was 36 years old that God actually met me in, in, in a dark place, um, and I discovered that there was a God. So I, I'm, I'm from the school that God has to reveal himself to us. Um, Some people are there, some people are not there, um, but that's really a thing that happens between them and and the whole experience.
1: I remember talking to you uh, in an earlier conversation and uh, you were sharing some of those things about the dark places you just mentioned Mm -hmm. in your own life. Uh, Some of these things you're writing about how to live a stunning life, uh, these have come from your own recognition that those symptoms were occurring in your own life that somehow needed fixing.
0: Yeah, I mean, when, when I think about what I was building my life on, I was building my life on desires for things in this world. And those desires for wealth and success and, and, and all that stuff and career and the car and the big house, um, as much as I acquired those things um, doing what I was doing, they never actually really satisfied me. Let me share with you a story. Last month I was in India, and I was asked to be part of a, a foundation stone, stone laying ceremony for a 10,000-seat um, uh, cathedral in, uh, in, in Gunther. And as I was there in the field, and we laid this foundation stone, it struck me, what's the foundation that we're actually building our lives on? If each one of us had to take a stock take now, forget about the fact we may go to church once a week or twice a week or, or something like that. Just put that aside for a moment. If somebody forensically examined your life, and was asked the question, what foundation stone does this person have for their lives, would they discover that the way that we lived our lives, the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act, what we do with our money, what we do with our time sources, would the evidence accumulate for that person to evaluate your life and my life to say, I think the foundation stone of this person's life is Christ, or would the evidence not support that? And I suspect that for a lot of people who say that they believe in God, the evidence from their lives doesn't support the fact that Christ is their foundation stone. Are you living Christ or are you
1: not living Christ? That's the question. So for some people there, you're saying uh, there is a certain level of pretense, uh, the idea of pretending to be a believer or even having that facade of going along to your local church, as you say, uh, maybe once a week, uh, maybe for some, having just had Easter, maybe it's twice a year, Easter and Christmas, but there is a certain sense, isn't there, which you're saying it's not just a matter of... Uh, that's attention to going along to your church occasionally. It's about what difference does that faith make to the foundation of your life and whether you're actually going to be living a stunning life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when, when you make a decision for how to spend money, for instance, or, or how do you spend your time, do you agonize over what God wants you to do with that resource or do you just go out and spend it? For a lot of people who profess faith in Christ, and I'm not waving my bony finger here at anybody, I'm simply saying that sometimes we delude ourselves. We say, yeah, sure, Christ is the cornerstone of my life, but we just don't live out that truth. We don't behave that truth in our normal day to day lives. And then we wonder why it ain't going so well.
1: Well, there is a question here, isn't there? It's what's stunning about being a Christian? Uh, as compared to what people may be suffering under as a non Christian believer or a non believer, uh, let's talk about what it is to have a stunning life as a christian believer I uh, you know I love that scripture there in John chapter ten, verse ten. The thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy, but Jesus said, "I have come that they may have life and have it to the full." Uh, there's a uh, there's a a real contrast there it's what is the thief here for and what is christ here for uh, let's talk about some of those sorts of comparisons what is it to have a stunning life as a believer
0: well just let me pick up on that scripture. The word used there for for to the full, or other translations call uh, use the word abundance, literally means superabundance. So there's no actual English word translation. We don't say superabundance, but that's actually what it means. I came that you may have life superabundantly. So Jesus wasn't making a low statement there. Jesus was making a very High statement there. What I think sometimes we do in, in a fairly wealthy, fairly affluent, 21st century Western culture in which we live, is we equate that to worldly success. We kind of go, well, an abundant life must mean it'll be safe and it'll be secure and it'll be comfortable and I'll have all the things that I want to have and my family will be fine. We equate it to worldly success, but I just don't think that's what Jesus was talking about. A life following Christ is rarely a comfortable life would you agree it's rarely a a sufficient life in that we have all the things we need to go and do what god's called us to do before we step out and do them i mean jesus said look unless you you take up your cross and follow me you're not going to make it into the kingdom of heaven and taking up your cross and following you following jesus is a tough gig sometimes so i think an abundant life doesn't mean that all our circumstances will all fall in the line and be everything that we want, and every day will be sunshine and light. Following Christ means there are going to be difficult times. The enemy is going to come after us with a pickaxe. And yet, to me, the beauty, the abundance, the stunning life that we can have in Christ is that when things are going badly, when things are difficult, when we are suffering, when we are being persecuted, when we are being misunderstood, right in the middle of those circumstances and situations, we can have that stunning life, the joy and the peace and the power that only comes through Jesus Christ. I think that stunning life looks like.
1: We're going to continue our conversation and I want to pick up, Bernie, with uh, some more on this issue because there are so many believers uh, that believe that if they've got lots of money, if they've got a nice house and there's multiple cars in the garage that somehow or other they've got a stunning life, what you're saying is there's another definition you need to look at here to see what a stunning life really is. I'm going to invite our listeners to call. You can be a part of our conversation today. What is your Uh, contribution to our conversation, do you have a hint or a tip or a comment about how to live a stunning life? Here's the number to call. You can be a part of our conversation today. Our talkback lines are open. 1-800-880-876. 1-800-880-876. Our special guest is Bernie Dimits from Christianity Works. We're talking about a new book that Bernie's got coming out sometime around August about how to live a stunning life. We'll come back and talk some more in just a short while. Bernie, we've been talking about Uh, what people feel about a stunning life. Let's talk about money and possessions. Is this something that gets in the way of what a biblical definition of what a stunning life is all about?
0: Well, isn't the easiest thing for us to imagine that if we're financially well off, God is blessing us, and, and if our finances aren't everything that we need them to be or want them to be or desire to them to be, then obviously God hasn't blessed us yet, but he's going to get there. Eventually my finances will be um, what I want them to be. How many people sit there and dream of, if only I had this much more money? Everybody wants about 10 or 15% more than they have. I mean, sure, a lot of people like to have lots and lots of money, but most people sit there and dream of what it would be like if it was just a little bit easier, if we could just pay the bills a little bit more, easy, more easily and on time. and I just have a little bit more left over to enjoy the things that I want to enjoy. And, and for me, for, for most of the first part of my life up to age 36, it was all about... Making money and people would have said well Bernie was doing pretty well at that. I had a consulting firm. I was doing stuff I appeared successful, but now I don't know how it goes for you But what I discovered the hard way is that money actually doesn't satisfy you It might give you a short-term buzz, but deep down it doesn't actually satisfy you. It leaves you it leaves you feeling empty. It's this insatiable appetite that happens in our society where we, we have this, we want the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And so instead of being content, which God wants us to be, the Bible talks about the fact that we should we should be content, and we have this insatiable insatiable appetite. We're never content, we're never satisfied, we're never happy, and so you're on this treadmill of sacrificing your life to make more money, to feed your desires. And for what? I remember years ago, uh, before I became a Christian, I bought um, a brand new car. And it was a very expensive car for the day. It was a very nice car for the day. I remember sitting down in this car just after I'd bought it. You know that fresh new car smell? Well, it, it had the smell of leather on top of that. And I thought, this is fantastic. And about 18 months later, there was a huge hailstorm. And I happened to be overseas, and my car was at the airport, and it was totally ruined um, in in the hailstorm. It never was quite the same again. It had leaks and all that sort of stuff. And after the first month or two of of having that car, it was just another car. It got dirty. It had to be vacuumed. It had to be driven. And the satisfaction was gone. Well, why is that? Why doesn't money actually ever satisfy us? Because I don't think it was ever meant to. The only thing that satisfies us is when we have that fantastic relationship with Jesus and we're living out that relationship by loving other people. You know what the Pharisee said to, um, to Jesus? The young lawyer came to him and said, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is the greatest and first commandment. And the second one is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. And you know something? I I discovered in my life when I became a Christian that when you start loving God and serving him, that's the only place I've ever found contentment. How about you, Neil? Where's your contentment
1: like? Well, I think uh, you're hitting the nail on the head there. Uh, There is a sense, isn't there, when you put your faith in finances and in possessions, you are going to be disappointed. Uh, Now, I've never been rich uh, so I'm talking from a position of uh, of not actually uh, experiencing what that uh, certain uh, level of Australian-style riches might be. I guess compared to so many people around the world, I probably am rich. Well, I was going to say, uh, but compared <laughs> to the rest of the world, my friend, we, we are, are the all top 1% or 2% yes. income earners in the world. That's right. Uh, there is an old saying uh, that some people uh, like to live by. He who dies with the most toys wins. Now, I decided younger on in my life that I wasn't going to be on a treadmill like that. And there is a sense, and I think it somehow or other shows itself more in the life of men who uh, sometimes get to a point where they're experiencing a midlife crisis, is that they discover that they have earned, uh, that they have uh, accumulated a whole bunch of possessions and material things, and they've decided that they don't satisfy. And then they look for some other deeper meaning and sometimes dip off into areas of depression because they realize that there's something empty in their life and the possessions didn't fill it. So I'm a little bit like you. I think you've hit the the nail on the head. If we put our trust in the possessions, if we put our trust in the materialism, we're going to be left short. But for people who are either Christian or non-Christian, we all get to that point because we're all in some ways, uh, reliant on a lot of these possessions and material things that we own. Uh, where do you, though, Bernie, think that when you recognise that those possessions aren't everything, finding that place of contentment, where do you start to look?
0: Well, I'll answer a moment. Let me come back to a scripture about money. It's one that we, we know very well. It's First Timothy chapter 6, and verse 10. It's for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, in their desire to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. I wonder how many people listening today can relate to this, this idea of being pierced with many pains because they sacrificed their lives on the altar of wealth or career or success or status. There's a lot of hurting people around, empty people. And and if you've heard anything of my story, this one issue drove me to the edge of suicide. This one issue caused me almost to take my life because the emptiness was so deep and so powerful. And on that, it was actually in Brisbane. Um, I was staying at a hotel, the Grand Chancellor um, in Brisbane, and uh, I remember walking out onto the balcony and, and... I came very close to throwing myself over the balcony onto the concrete driveway eight floors below. And, and to answer your question then, where do I, I start to begin to find the contentment and satisfaction? Fortunately, that night before, I'd been reading a Gideon's Bible. I went inside, I knelt down, because I thought, that's what you have to do. And my prayer to God was, well, Lord, if you're out there, now would be a really good time. That's all I had in me to pray. That's as much faith as I had, but that's all it took. And, and it's in that relationship with Jesus. Um, and, and to me, that manifests manifests itself each day by just getting up in the morning and spending some quiet time with the Lord. can't tell you how many people have said to me when I've spoken about this quiet time of prayer and, and quiet time of reading your Bible in the morning, they come to me and say, well, you know, I struggle with that. I'm really busy. You know, I have to get up in the morning. I've got kids and I've got to commute and I've got to... So we've got all these other things that we need to do and, and somehow we don't find the time to do the single most important thing in our lives, which is to sit quietly and spend some time with the Lord each day. What's the most important thing? To love the Lord your God with everything that you are you can 't love someone unless you spend time with them, and I know on the odd occasion when I get busy and i 'm traveling and finding that prayer time is really really hard, I know that my life starts to crumble and fall apart, and my sense of well being my sense of contentment starts to evaporate and when I just faithfully sit down and it's not it 's not a difficult thing to do and just focus on God for half an hour or an hour in the morning. Um, that contentment comes back and the peace and the joy come back and the power to deal with the things that life throws at me every day, that just seems to be there. And, and I wonder, why do we try, trade our diamonds for stones? Why do we do all this other stuff that we think is important, like watching reruns of some old television series at night on the TV instead of spending our time with Jesus?
1: Bernie, when you talk about spending that time with Jesus, uh, that quiet time, uh, what comes to mind for me is the idea of having a context for your life. And when you spend that time, perhaps each day, and for some people, maybe they miss a day or two, but uh, regularly spending that time with God gives you context so that all of these other things that are going on around you, uh, whether that be the finance and the materialism we've been talking about or some of these other symptoms you're talking about with marriages and relationships and careers and those things, they have a context to them which is bigger than our lives. The context is important, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. The context, the context is everything almost. Um, and, and then when you come across a difficult situation, let's say you're dealing with a difficult person at work or a, an argument in your marriage or a teenage kid who's driving you mad, um, you've spent that time with the Lord and all of a sudden you find yourself dealing with that difficult situation in a completely different way. It's not a difficult thing to do. It's not a labor. It's not a strain. It just kind of flows out of your relationship with Jesus. I mean, Sometimes you hear people talk about doing things in your own strength. Here's what I think. I think that when I try and and struggle through a problem, having not spent time with Jesus, having not talked to him today, I'm doing it in my own strength. But when I've I've had that time of fellowship with him, whether or not we talked about that particular issue or not doesn't really matter the Holy Spirit works in me in a far more powerful way when i spent that time alone with the Lord. And that means opening your Bible and having a listen to what God wants to say to you. I saw a T-shirt recently. I was down in, in Gippsland speaking at uh, a church at a men's event, and this guy had a T-shirt on. And the T-shirt said, You want to hear God speak? Open your Bible. You want to hear God speak audibly? Read it out loud. <laughs> <You know? laughs> And and God speaks to us through his word. So why do so many people who say they believe in Jesus have a Bible or two or three or ten gathering dust somewhere on a shelf instead of opening it up and listening to what God has to say to them today?
1: Bernie Dimatt's with us. Bernie, let's talk about circumstances because uh, we all from time to time find ourselves in the depths of despair because of circumstances and sometimes it's because of relationships or our marriage or careers. Uh, We've been talking a fair bit about finances. That's obviously one of those big areas. But when the circumstances are against you, how do you make a start to turn things around?
0: Well, I'm sure there's someone listening today who feels right at the moment that what are, these, what are these two jokers talking about living a stunning life. If you only could see my life, if you could only see the mess that my life is in, if you could only see the circumstances that I'm facing, you wouldn't talk about a stunning life. I know there's someone listening today who's thinking that and who's going through that at the moment. So I think the question about circumstances is really good because we need to we need to think about our circumstances because here's what happens, Neil. When we're going through something difficult, the problem always seems bigger than God. Have you noticed that? Mm. And I'll tell you why that is. Because the closer something is, the bigger it looks. You it's stood and looked at something that's very close and then looked at something in, at, in the distance and the thing that's in the distance, maybe it's a, a Mack truck, right? seems so much smaller than perhaps the little child that's standing next to you. The closer something is, the bigger it feels, and so often it feels as though our circumstances are bigger than God. And the players' entrance to the Centre Court at Wimbledon are inscribed these two lines above the entrance door as they walk onto Centre Court. Uh, They come from Rudyard Kipling's um, poem, "If," If You Can Meet Triumph and Disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. Sometimes we think that failure defines who we are, and and failure simply doesn't define who we are. Look at Jesus. Jesus, when he was heading towards the Passover festival, many believed in his name, John chapter 2, many believed in his name because they saw the signs and wonders that he was doing. But Jesus, on his own part, wouldn't entrust him Because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone. For he himself knew what was in everyone. Jesus didn't let success define who he was. And it's just as well, because it's only a few chapters later that we find these very same people shouting that he should be crucified. Hmm. The very same people that, that saw the miracles, that wanted to make him a rock star, that wanted to make him the president of the country. those same people ended up being the ones who shouted crucify him just what we've talked about over this last weekend at Easter both success and failures are imposters when it comes to defining who we are the truth is that you and I and everybody who's listening today we are made in the very image of God handcrafted by him God made you kneel exactly to be who you are He made me to be who I am, and who we are is no surprise to him. What we're good at and what we're not good at is no surprise to him, but what we tend to do is we compare our lot in life to the next person's and the next person's and the next person's and we wonder, why is my life not going all that well? Well, let me tell you something. When Jesus hung there on that cross, when he was suffering and dying, And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He looked like the biggest, most spectacular failure in all of history. By human standards, he did. He looked like a loser. And yet there on the cross, when he died for you and me, he won the biggest victory of all time. Because he paid for our sin and he set us free from the power of sin and he opened the door to heaven and to the Trinity and to God and flung open the door so that you and I can come in. Success and failure don't define who we are. And that's why I mean, we need to be close to God. That's why we need to be in a relationship with him, just spending every time, every day praying and, and opening the Bible so that when the disasters do come, which they surely will, when they come in your life, they come in my life, they come in everybody's life, when those disasters come, we are ready and we have the joy of the Lord in us. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. Absolutely. When we're filled with the joy of the Lord, then come what may, the circumstances actually don't matter that much anymore.
1: Well, let's take a caller, Jenny from Perth. Hello, Jenny. Welcome to 2020. Hi, how are you going? Good. Jenny, what's your contribution to our conversation today?
2: Yeah, I just wanted um, you to elaborate a little bit more on this uh, stunning uh, life. Um, How does that relate to people that are, say, in persecuted countries where they're in a prison, where they're undergoing torture and those sort of things? How um, are you marrying that with the
1: description of
0: stunning that's a really good question thanks for that question Jenny because I think what we generally do is we equate stunning to worldly success we're kind of programmed by our culture to do that but there was Jesus dying on the cross and I would argue that that Jesus led the most stunning life that has ever been led on this earth stunning lives are not always comfortable lives. They're not always worldly successful lives. They're not always easy lives or wealthy lives. Stunning lives are lives where we live out the gifting and the abilities and the passion that God has given to us, irrespective of the circumstances we happen to find ourselves. I love the Apostle Paul. I relate a lot to that guy. He's in prison with Barnabas. It's midnight. They're chained up. So what does Paul do? Paul and Barnabas start singing. In fact, they sing so loud that everybody in the prison is amazed and then the earth moves and the doors of the prison are flung open. That's a stunning life. Paul was being persecuted. Paul was in a prison. Paul refused to let his circumstances define his life. And I think that's a strong message that comes out of the Bible.
1: Jenny, does that answer your query? Okay. Thank you
2: for that comment. That's good. It, um, it broadens what you're actually saying. I appreciate it.
1: Jenny, thanks so much for being part of 2020 today. And boy, it does uh, hit home, doesn't it, when you start to come back to uh, these biblical illustrations because Jesus hanging on the cross, uh, that is one of the ultimate acts of persecution and of course when you talk about the apostle paul uh, persecuted to the hilt and yet these are the guys who are writing about living a stunning life bernie uh the biblical foundations are different to the way we think today where we feel like we have to be happy and uh and feel good all the time whereas that's not a biblical foundation is it
0: no there's nothing biblical about um, about happy clappy wealthy and wise Um, What's biblical is take up your cross and follow me. What's biblical is lay down your life so that you may gain it rather than hanging on to it so that you lose it. Um, And and can I tell you that probably the biggest surprise for me going from a a secular worldview to, to a worldview of seeing the world through the cross of Christ was the deep satisfaction that comes when you sacrifice your life willingly for Christ to benefit other people. That 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 drug, that narcotic, that feeling and that satisfaction of serving other people sacrificially, that was what I'd been looking for all my life. I just never found it. And, and it's stunning when you get the opportunity to do that. I'm not saying I'm the same because I'm not. But, but when you get the chance to sacrifice and use your gifts and abilities um, for other people, I tell you, I, I just don't think there's anything better than that.
1: Drew is in Brisbane. Hello, Drew. Welcome to 2020. Yeah, hi. How are you going? Good, Drew. What's your contribution to our conversation today? <laughs> My
3: contribution to your conversation. I just wanted to stand in agreement with it for a start. Um, and I do listen to Bernie, you know, every day and look forward to his teachings. And uh, I can relate to where he's been at, interestingly enough, 36 years old, an interesting age, because that's where I'd reach the same point. And. Uh, I'd actually uh, encountered God in a very real way, in the same way, and uh, through circumstances. And it's taken nearly 10, 11 years for me to to understand what you're talking about because I've had to give up my perception of why I was taken there. And um, I think that you're right in saying that, you know, the circumstances that we go through uh, are such a blessing, really. It sounds (laughs) stupid, but... You know how how it builds character through perseverance, and uh, which which builds that hope and that faith. And um, I just wanted to agree with him on this, and and, and say that uh, um, at first my point was I was a little bit like Jonah. It was well, I've been through so much, so I'm going to go and save the world, and I've got such a big testimony, and I'm going to I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Um, it's taken this long for me to learn to give myself up to allow God to to work through my life and it's hard when you're independent for so many years to, to understand how to do that and it's when I say it's hard it's hard to break your habit of thinking and the habit of the way you live but when you are broken and when you are at that point of of loving the Lord your God with all your heart um everything just comes easy it all it all flows and uh you know, lean not on your own understanding, but, but just have that faith and, and accept that, that presence of God. And, and then you get hungry to get up every morning and spend that time with Him. And, and that, that then flows on to wanting to pass that love on to others. So those two commandments are just so real. But um, I think the hardest thing for us to understand is, as human beings is that we have to let go of our will and, and have the faith to receive what God's got for us and the true us that He made. And we're the ones that are blocking that.
0: So, so can I can I ask you a question? It's uh, that, yeah. Fabulous listening to you talk. What's the biggest difference between your life before you met Jesus mm. and your life now? Um, worth. <laughs> I've, I've, I've got less
3: money than I ever had, but I have more more worth. I have, yeah. um, I have I have an understanding of God's love for me and what I am worth, and uh, I have an excitement of, of of his presence every day, and and his divine intervention through through allowing myself to be in situations where he he will work. So, you know, it's it's an incredible blessing. Um, awesome stuff. Yeah, you know, to be able to uh, to feel his presence and then have that relationship with him. And I think um, I do want to quickly say that, you know, it's taken. I said it took me a lot of years to come to this understanding. I was seeking why I didn't die. I should have. I was in a big accident, and there was a head-on with a truck on a motorcycle. and I should have been dead. And when I when I came through this, I was off work for seven years, eight mm. years. Family breakup, fighting for my kids, um, lost all my money, living in a little room underneath another house. Just lost everything, uh, including my dignity. Um, friends fell away. So there was only just me and God and a Bible. And. A friend of mine, a female friend of mine, came to me when I was the day I was going to top myself and just felt something was wrong and and handed me a Bible. I didn't even know she was a Christian. I'd known her for 10 years. Um, And because we used to just sort of hang out and ride bikes together. Um, But when I opened that Bible, um, it just spoke to me in such a way that um, I started on a journey of just me and God. And I took that and he he, he put me in isolation to, to do that. But it wasn't until recently he gave me the understanding that I used to say, why am I here? Why, I don't fit into the world. I'm not fitting into the Christian world. I don't know. Where, I'm in between worlds. It's like I haven't made it to heaven and I haven't left earth. I'm, I'm in between. And he told me that um, he, 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 he sent me back so that I could um, create a relationship with him and learn how to live with him and live out my life with him. And, and he wanted yeah. me to have that relationship with him here on earth. Yeah. and um, That's awesome. I, I believe that, that that was my purpose. And everything else will follow out of that. Mm. Um, yeah. Everything else that's truth and everything else that's important will follow out of that. But until I could learn to have that relationship with him and have him sanctify my heart, I do Easter now in an incredible passion even more than last year or the year before or the year before. And I measure how much he sanctified me by how much it means to me every year. I'm going, how, how much has he given me this this desire even more than last year? You know, like he just keeps building in me and building in me. So you, you can use it as a measuring stick of, of you know, you, you used to look at Easter and go, yeah, I know what it means. And now you're just living it and you're just praising God for it. And you're looking at the positive of it. So... um
1: Yeah, Drew, uh, loving
3: with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. It's just the essence of the beginning. Just
1: fabulous that you're able to uh, contribute by telling your own personal testimony. Today, uh, Drew from Brisbane, just great to hear from you and thanks so much for being part of 2020 today. No worries. thanks you for letting me speak.
3: 2020 on Vision.
1: It's Neil with you on 2020, Bernie Dimert, our guest from Christianity Works. We're talking about the title of a new book Bernie's got coming out around about August, How to Live a Stunning Life. And uh, great to hear from so many listeners around the nation too. Bernie, uh, one thing that came out uh, from our last caller, who really hit rock bottom before he discovered... Uh, that uh, that there needed to be a turnaround and that there was a different identity that God had uh, uh, that uh, that built value into his life. Do you have to hit rock bottom to actually discover that?
0: Well, no, of course not. And, and in fact, a lot of people
1: don't. Can I, can I
0: say, I think sometimes success is harder to deal with than failure. When when things are going really well, when there is enough money, when, when your marriage relationship is going fine, when the kids are okay, I mean, all that's a really nice feeling... But we're very, very good at starting to feel self-sufficient in ourselves, and that self-sufficiency is a sure, sure spiral down. I mean, we, we start getting a little bit proud, but, but no, we don't need to be rock bottom in order to experience the love of Christ. Remember, success and failure are both transient, fleeting lives.
1: Let's take a let's take another call. Sue is in Katanning in WA. Hello, Sue. Welcome to 2020. Thank you. Sue, so, uh, what's your contrib- contribution to our conversation here today?
2: Well, I love your show, Burning. Um, <clears throat> Thanks,
1: sir.
2: I was listening to the other guy, and sometimes you do have to hit rock bottom. I mean, I've been walking with Jesus since I was 24. I'm a born again Christian. My mum died three years ago. Um, I lived in spiritual darkness for two years, love, not listening to the radio. One thing in my Bible disappeared. I'm surrounded by. One lady's a pagan and another's a Jehovah Witness. But regardless of that, i got left an in inheritance and money is the root of all evil. Okay. I escaped last week. I got in the car and I drove to Bunbury in the manger Found out that my friends are no longer my friends. Spend the last of the inheritance on me. I went and got a watch and some earrings and some sheets and stuff for me so that my lousy kids can't ask me for another cent. Now, I know that God said that he watches a bird and boy, has he watched me over the years, he's led me to the right houses, he's been my comfort, he's been my shield. But, you know, I nearly died in November and from November to now I have had nothing but people slamming against me and I know he's the cause of it all. And he has shot so many arrows at me that I need all of your prayers, everyone's prayers. Mm to keep me going because I have hit wall after wall after wall of hatred and I'm getting stronger and now that my mum's dead no one can tell me what to do again I just just tell them I can't wait to go home and they look at me like I'm a nut and I'm on that narrow path to righteousness and I've been for many years and I have fallen and I've helped up that many people and I see them turn that corner and that beautiful smile on their faces. They wave at me. Am I ever going to get them in the corner to see what it is that they are seeing?
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's a, tough, it's, it's a tough road sometimes, isn't it, sir? Must, none of my family's a believers. Yeah, yeah. But you're in good company because, of course, Jesus walked exactly that tough road. Oh, Jesus did, was misunderstood. Jesus was reviled. Jesus, I mean, you know, he cocked it all. And yet, did nothing wrong. So, well, as hard as it you, is, better. and I don't yeah. have any trite answers when it comes to suffering, you you can't. You just got to walk through it. Yep. But, um, but Jesus okay. walked through that suffering. He went ahead of you, and he he knows exactly what you're going through. And and to me, the powerful thing that you get to do now is still proclaim him as your Lord, is still praising, is still be close to him, is still do good in his name, even when people don't appreciate it. And even when people turn against you for doing it. And and that's the, to me, that's the stunning life that you can live.
1: Well, thank you, Sue, from Katanning in WA uh, for your uh, words of wisdom. And of course, those challenges and concerns that you're facing and, uh, uh, there'll be believers who are listening in to our conversation today who'll keep you in their prayers. And uh, mm-hmm. let's just say a quick prayer for Sue. Lord, I pray you just come and uh, intervene in the circumstances in Sue's life so that she might know truly what it is uh, to have the abundant life or well, the stunning life that we're talking about today uh, through her identity in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank Amen. you, Sue, for your uh, for your. Uh, Uh, input into today's 2020 and take another call to charles is in perth in wa hello charles welcome to 2020 charles are you there we are indeed yeah charles okay well we won't have charles with us uh, uh, bernie when we hear about uh these sorts of issues uh, people going through all sorts of challenges struggles trials and sufferings uh it's not an easy one to talk about it's not an easy one to turn around and say well uh, i'm living a stunning life even though things are going badly for me
0: but i think you now that's the, the crux of it because because as, as long as we're success driven and comfort driven we're kidding ourselves jesus didn't call us to be successful don't get me wrong success is good and when success comes our way it's a wonderful thing and of course we all go through seasons of success jesus called us to lay down our lives first john three sixteen says that he proves his love for us right that he laid down his life for us and we also should lay down our lives for one another laying down your life hurts It hurts to sacrifice. It's tough to be misunderstood. And yet in the middle of that, you and I can still be the hands and the feet and the mouth and the arms of Christ in a a lost and hurting world. i ask you this question. If God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, then what sort of a life do you imagine that he wants you to live? That's the question I'd like people to ponder and to think about. Over the coming days and weeks,
1: we've got time for one more caller. We'll need to be quick, though. John at Tullamarine in Melbourne. Hello, John. Welcome to oh, Twenty Twenty.
3: Hello, how are you? Neil? Hi, Bernie. Uh, um, you're hello, an anointed John. man. You're an anointed man, and I think you're in touch, you know, with God in that. Because um, I've listened to you a few times. Um, the only thing that I question sometimes in the West is sometimes are we preaching to the converted? i in a sense, um, you know. Um, uh, in some ways, most people have heard the message um and i'm not I'm not saying we shouldn't preach, but i'm saying I think in some ways we're a bit guilty of preaching to the converted, like when you look at jesus and uh, when they went they never heard the message it was a new message and they and when they did receive it it was you know it was quite different to these days when people have heard the message, the Christian message and um you know it seems like they've put in a lot a lot more
0: work to be able to get through to this kind of society? Yeah, good question. Neil. I don't know what the stats are, but in Australia, um, a huge chunk of the people who listen to stations like uh, the Vision Radio Network um, are not churched. Do you know what the stats are when it comes to vision?
1: Well, I don't know what statistics are specifically, but there has been some research done showing that something like 40% of the listenership to Christian broadcasting are not church attenders. In other words, they're nominal Christians. They're Christian by name but not necessarily attached to a church or denomination.
0: Yeah, and and I think that's the power of of something like like Christian Radio, the Vision Radio Network, in that we, we we get to do the one thing that's the most difficult thing for the church to do. That is to tell, to speak, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ outside the four walls of the church. This radio program, this radio station is going into hearts and into homes and through doorways that pastors will never get to walk through. And I think that's the power of of proclaiming Christ. And you know something? We actually do need to preach the good news um, to the believers because the believers need to keep their faith strong. The believers need to grow. They need to to become mature in Christ so that they can serve a lost and hurting world. So I I hear what you're saying, but, but I truly believe that getting out there beyond the four walls of the church and sharing the good news of Jesus with people who may never, ever show up in a church is an incredibly
1: powerful thing to do. Bernie, we are running out of time. Uh, Point people to to Christianity Works. Uh, You can Google Christianity Works and look forward to this new book that's coming out in August. It's called How to Live a Stunning Life. Bernie Dimatt's been our guest through this hour. Thanks to all those callers from all around the nation being part of it. Uh, Bernie, thanks for being with us today on 2020.